good morning and we say yes. Everybody, yes. We're learning to say yes. Yes to a great year. Yes to each other. Yes to the bitter cold. Way to go. And uh, get here. Yes to the promises of God. We have this verse that has been kind of controlling and running underneath everything. It is the yes to all of God's promises is in Christ Jesus and through Christ we say yes to the glory of God. Yes, as in we all woke up snow covered yesterday. That's the same way God wants us to approach this day is that we wake up, he's already got us covered. He's already started out this day with his plans, his mercies already for us to be able to help us and everything that we need and to help us to understand him. I've not always lived life that way. Maybe you haven't either, but we're trying to learn that together where you just start out the day looking at God, what do you have for me? And his will, his purpose, his plan becomes the primary thing that we're trying to tap into right at the start. So especially as it relates to some of the big important areas of our life, and today it has to do with relationships. Hey, who could not use the touch of God's transforming power on an area like our relationships? Anybody? Oh yeah, we say amen because uh, that's the yes. In fact, we say to God, that's like, ah, yep, I agree, preach it, brother. And we are saying yes to that because we know we need that help. And that's you, everyone. You need help in your, your marriage, your connection, your kids, your home life. You, yep, uh, yep, yep. Some of you are still awake, not awake. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> or you're lying or you're frozen. Can't get my hand up. <laughs> we do need the help and the Lord's already provided that for us. So um, I was thinking back, you know, I wasn't the marriageable type really in college. Uh, that's why I think God chose Julie. She was the perfect one for me and really by God's grace that she came to my life and then able to figure this thing out, able to start building a life together, building a home, and by far, we have not had just marital success only, that's usually due to me, uh, but because of God's grace being with us and working in her life and continues to, through his forgiveness, extend into her life, we have hope. And that's your hope too. Bank on God's promises. So I'm trying to put God's promises out there for you, and I'm trying to point you to God's word. So take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2. Got to get right to the very beginning. We're talking about homes being built, and... Um, it, it's like the basics begin right here when you think of home building because any of you guys who do, any of you do construction or you've remodeled or you've been on work projects and all, you know that there has to be a step-by-step -step process. You can't just take a plot of land, throw up a lean-to and move in. You realtors know, <laughs> no matter how beautiful that home is, uh, you're worth your salt. You're going to steer that family away from a house that has cracks all over the walls and uneven floors because you know it has to do with that foundation. That base is faulty. So at the very beginning process, step number one is you got to build on the right foundation. You got to have the foundation's key to the whole quality of this structure that's going to be able to go up. And the foundation's what we get right from scripture. So if the idea is a relationship, okay, I find somebody, uh, I'm thinking about spending my life with them, and you love each other at a point, it's like you want to make this thing last. Then you're going to have to do it with the right foundation. You and I do not know how to do that. Because we didn't create love. We didn't make relationship, man and woman, like that. God did. He's the one who designed it from the very beginning. And so he's the one that knows how to build this thing. And so if you and I are trying to like, well, let's figure this thing out. Well, I don't know. Hopefully this will work. You see what we're already doing? We're already off because we have a faulty base. God's the one, since he designed it, he knows how to build a home. And just like we said, he's already out front. See, before you even cracked open that Bible, it was already ready for you to know today, how can I address the things and issues in my home and my life, my relationship with the most important person on earth? It's like, 
right here. He's going to catch us, and he's going to talk about foundational things first. So chapter 2, I like that little passage, 15 through 25. It's all, I always go over with couples that are uh, going through pre-marriage plans or sitting across from me, and we read this together. So here we go. Let's catch that, starting in verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make, a help, uh, him, make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs, closed up its and the rib that the Lord God had man and brought her to the man, and then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. God did this. He chose male and female. He made them, fashioned them, put them together by his amazing wisdom. He could have made us like single-celled amoebas. <laughs> when we want to multiply, we just divide it. <laughs> But no, that wouldn't be fun at all. Instead, he puts this mysterious chemistry together of two homo sapiens, and we've got to ask the question, what is he up to? What is his, his goal for them? That's the right question. See, everything in our culture says it's about self-fulfillment. And so if everyone's asking the question going into this thing, well, what is it that you want out of this relationship? Or what's the goal, the hopes that you have together? We're already off. You already got a faulty base because we didn't create it. We didn't make love that's gonna require to get this thing to work. God did. And Jesus affirmed that in every marriage, God is the one who's been at work to put these two together. So we gotta build on this foundation. It's gotta rest on the right kind of base. And so whenever we talk about getting married and being married for good, that means being married for God. Our home has gotta reflect his image. And our marriage should really be offered up in loving service for his purpose. So here we go. If I was just gonna make a few points from this thing, it'd be like foundationally, a home is where you don't go it alone. Because all the creating that God had done, you just see it in chapter 1, he says, good, 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 good. And he gets here to the crowning achievement of his creation, man, and he says right after that, not good. The reason is provided here in the text that the man was alone. Now, I ask every couple, I say, what's that mean? And they say, usually what you and I would think, they would acquaint the idea that his being alone means that he's lonely. Oh, poor Adam. <laughs> I mean, there he is in the garden. He's looking at all these animals paired up, and they've got their, you know, the fish and the cow and the, you know, parakeet and everything. They've got their own, and he doesn't have anybody. <laughs> and so he is lonely, needs a wife. Now, it may be that he had some relational needs like that, but we're reading that text with this self-oriented culture that we live in. 
When we think that uh, uh, I'm going to get with this person to meet my personal needs, you don't find that in there. If you look at the context, the idea of these two coming together and the idea of the key to a marriage, you realize it's not addressing loneliness. If any of you thought that if you get married, then you're going to be loved for good, then you're never going to be lonely again. Amen? See, nobody says amen, <laughs> especially the married people. <laughs> you know better, don't you? It's not that. Instead, it's the idea of that everything, that man is alone. So maybe it doesn't just mean that he's lonely in the context. Why did God create the man? It says, right, we said for the very first verse there when I started to read, he teaches the man was created to take care of the garden, work the ground, cultivate it, you know, walk with God, enjoy everything is good in place of Eden. He's supposed to care for the place. He is entrusted with God's garden, which is an enormous responsibility. And as soon as he makes him, God looks at little Adam with this huge task, and he says, not good. He needs help to be able to do this job that I gave him. He cannot do this on his own. He needs a helper. Now, I don't know, maybe Adam was relationally lonely, <laughs> But if that's all he needed, just a companion, God could have made him a good guy-type dog, right? I mean, it's like, guys, do not agree. Okay, you're going to get the elbow right away. But women, I also don't want you to get in a tizzy about this thing about, well, I'm just a helper. No, no, no. The idea is what? Someone who is equal in every sense of him, someone else to come along because he's alone in this task to bring in a helper who together, and I'm pointing to this couple, co-equals. Husband and wife, like Adam and Eve, like king and queen, ruling over this whole creation under their dominion together. See, no one is inferior. They're talking about how God has elevated these two to do this job. She's not created like some kind of afterthought or a sidekick. It says over and over here, she is fit for the task. Perfect as they manage this place on earth that God put them together. Now, some of you are not married right now. Some of you are single. I would not want you for a moment to think like, oh, you know, check out, not for me, you know, here, like I'm less of a person because I don't have anyone. No, actually, it's probably just the opposite. At least for your place in life right now, apparently God does believe in you and you can do this thing together with him. You don't need that other partner. I believe it's probably because you are able to trust in the Lord and he's able to fit you for the task right now to be able to go this alone. Actually, it's this guy and what he needed to be able to have the kind of person alongside him to be able to do this together and build this home. He needed. When I look at the, this couple and they get to the altar and they do this wedding, it's hardly never a time that I don't look there going like, yeah, you definitely need her you know, or him. <laughs> it's like, you cannot get this done. You've got to have what she has. He's, he, he's needed in the picture. I'm concluding this very thing. It's like, you, are, you cannot be alone on this thing. You've got to build this together, this home of yours. And, you know, you probably have been longing if you end up you know, you're headed for that relationship. You probably have been longing for a long time that someone would come alongside, that together you could have this joy of, of serving God together and building a, a home in this life. God didn't give Adam another man, okay? That's significant. 
He chose for him a helper that was quite different from him. In fact, you get that because when Adam first sees her, he's like, oh, oh, man. I mean, it's like he is excited. He's like, at last. It's like his yes to God. Like he really likes what he sees. And of course, the next thing you know is mentioned nakedness. So I'm sure he's really excited about this. I mean, <laughs> that's the crazy thing because it's like he, you know, I, I don't think it's that's necessarily the desire because he's not touching her or anything yet. And the context shows, again, what's the whole idea? What's the whole plan for this is the goal is what? God places them there in this garden to work this garden, to do the task that he assigned to them in this place in the world. They've got a job to do. And so, yes, together, but it's not like bodies intertwined here. It is like together they have a shared purpose. And yes, they're going to be intimate, but it's going to be with common goals. And together, you might say no matter what they do, it has to be for God. It's in his plan. It's like, they're supposed to garden. And if God looked at the man earlier and says, nope, one is not enough, two's not going to be either. <laughs> and so really, God's looking at this thing, and he tells her, because he makes her woman in a special way she can reproduce with the guys, he's telling them, now what? Be fruitful and multiply. He needs a lot more gardeners, okay? <laughs> he needs to, like, get a whole clan, because, man, we got a big garden to take care of. And so he puts the whole family now in motion from this very act of making her like he did and fits her into the picture and together. And they, frankly, they probably do have a fun time making kids and everything together. So the couple's relationship, this is how it all begins. Now, the second thing I pull from this is another foundational point, And that is building this home God's way. And that is a home is where there's got to be this basic commitment. Even the lovemaking act has got to be seen in service to God because he designed those bodies like he did to come together as a married couple. This is a wedding text, right? That's the one you hear at the weddings about, you know, uh, leaving father and mother and taking a wife, holding fast to each other to become one flesh and they're unashamed in their nakedness because that's the exclusive domain for a couple to be naked together. It's because promises have already been made that says, I do, I take you, I promise to you to be faithful. Marriage is not something you like ease into, like, ah, oh, you try this little thing for a while and then at some point you decide to have a party and okay. It's not something that like you, you, you're partly married or you start getting married and you're not, you never get a Christmas letter from a couple saying like, hey, we've had a good year. Yeah, I think we feel like we're like 85% married right now. <laughs> like, they don't come back and say like, oh, it's not been a good year. It's, 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 it's mad. It's like, we're down to like a 53% marriage right here. I mean, it's like, they don't do that because you don't go in or out. You're either married or you're not. And married has to do with that these two have made this basic commitment to be faithful to each other for life under God. It's a covenant before God. So you're, you're taking the most vulnerable position that people are in because being naked is the most vulnerable position and the one place where that kid's going to be able to be safe, vulnerable and open exposed to somebody is in the confines of that faithful commitment that's already been made between those two. Boy, the, the applications are huge here. Because now, these two don't have to perform for each other. And so couples, especially their first tries at this, they could laugh at their poor attempts. You know? <laughs> and it's okay, because the other person's not going anywhere, because they've already promised to be there no matter what. How about those that aren't married? Oh my goodness, you better be on your A game and perform well, because they might reject you. See, it's got to have ahead of time the promise, the commitment. Count on me, I'm here. I'll always be here. That's what brings it together in this. And, and I understand, because I, you know, I just want to hit up on this real quickly, is I know that there are many couples that live together, and they are intimate, and they're not married. So 
when we look at that, and I know I've asked couples, like, it's like, so what, what's the deal with that? And a lot of times there's, there's reasons, there's circumstances. And uh, frankly, I don't know what to say sometimes. I mean, financial is often a big one. And they have a hard time while seeing how they could do it. But what I want to kind of lay out there, if you can just hear me for a second, is how confusing that is for, for the rest of us. Because until you come to this place in which you publicly pledge that faithfulness, which is what that marriage commitment now brings before you and and binds that together. Without that, we don't really know how you're doing because we care about you. I mean, first, the the idea is sex is safe inside marriage, but outside of it, it's dangerous. Are, are Are you safe? Because they don't really know. I mean, I mean, how do we know that you're not being raped and abused every day? I mean, I mean, I guess you're living together by consent, but what do we do with that? And then there's, there's things that you have going on. To I imagine you're splitting up bills somehow, right? You're kind of splitting the rent or like who, whose name is on the utility bill? What happens if the other one books? You're, you're left holding what? And you probably have built up assets and things together, right? I mean, if couples live together for a while, they may have a kid between them. What's going to happen if someone dies? You know good and well in the law. It goes to next of kin. And that living partner gets nothing. They don't qualify. So you see what happens. It's, it's when someone's married, they officially become that next of kin. And it's, it's protection. And besides, it just sets up sub, such ambiguity, such insecurities. I mean, you could have these two together trying to read the other one and she's kind of like hoping this is for keeps. You know, he's he's still there, so maybe this will work and he'll be there and she's thinking good. Meanwhile, he's like Mr. Cautious. He's not about to go to the altar with her because he's thinking like, well, this could end any day. How is that secure? Unless they come and they've made that commitment together and said, count on me. The only way is if they do that official leave parents Thing. An official come together and we're going to be a family declared publicly their faithfulness to each other. I know that the way that cultures and societies and all do different things as far as what they recognize a marriage is, but you know it is. It's like when we all know, oh, yep, you're married now. You've done that thing that clearly says you are going to make this life together. You've made those promises. I do. And that's what, that's what seals that bond. And God's the one who's protecting these two. So instead of being like free-floating individuals and who knows what's going to happen the next day, a marriage bonds that together by that basic commitment. And now you got like, now you can have this like Adam, Eve, king and queen thing going on. <laughs> You're all in. That home has a chance now to build and build something great because it started from this foundation. So um, thank you for sparing me that. I, I didn't want to just be Mr. Obvious on the foundation. I know a lot of us saying like, yeah, we're kind of been there and done that. Like what's next? What's next is I want you to flip to the New Testament, go to 1 Peter chapter three because there's a lot of helps that now we got to build on this foundation. So it's going to be erecting a house and a structure that's going to be beautiful and worth living in. So there's a lot that goes into this man and woman relationship and this home that's being built. And I'd like to just be practical on some of those things. Um, some of, <laughs> uh, I was thinking again, if you're single, you're thinking like, don't check out because actually this may just be helpful to you because you probably have to live and work around men and women. And so we need to look at some differences in how these two do this. So first of all, let's put some pictures what a noise, okay? Uh, we'll just take a quick fun look. What annoys the man? What annoys the woman? What annoys her? 
How about a toilet roll dispenser? Is it that hard, guys? Okay. <laughs> that runs out, and uh, you've got to uh, uh, change it. All right. Um, the toilet seat, again, would you please just manage that thing, all right? Because you know the next time she's going to come rushing in, use the bathroom, put that down. Or when you're going, lift the thing up, okay? I know you think you can hit the water without tinkling on the seat, but you probably can't. So <laughs> she drives her crazy. When he can't find anything, I mean, he's looking right in the refrigerator, right in front of his face, and he doesn't see it, you know, or he's trying to find something around the house, screaming the whole time about it, drives her nuts. And what he does with his eyes when he stares at other women, guys, that's going to make her mad every time, <laughs> and obviously not listening to her. Okay, now on the other side, guys, when we're watching TV, would you please not talk and uh, make noises, and uh, uh, yeah, that, that, that game's important to us. Okay. The razor, yeah, as in you're using our razor to shave your legs and armpits, okay. Uh, or worse, you're not using any razor to shave the legs and the armpits. <laughs> the outfit, she tries on 500 outfits and she says, what, how do I look? Uh, impossible question, you know, for us. <laughs> and then, of course, we do like those lips, but not when they're complaining. <laughs> not when they're running down other women and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's just, and the thing is, don't speak in code, okay? Because it just, it drives us crazy. And like, I know you think you know you're communicating. It's like you're sitting down and what's the, what's the scenario? You're going to watch someone's like, hey, he says, what do you want to watch tonight? She says, oh, I don't know. I don't care, I, I don't care she says. He's like, okay, click. No, not that. <laughs> click. I don't want that either. <laughs> All right, hey, why don't you just pick? Oh, no, no, I don't care what we watch. I mean, it's like... <laughs> We don't get it, okay? So when we look at the scripture, it's just real because God's going to like put our nose right in the very thing we need to be concentrating on to kind of help make this thing work out. And uh, so let me just pick it up. It's going to be chapter, I'm just going to grab a few verses here. You know, his, her verse, his verse, start with 3.1. Starts out with the wives saying, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won over without a word by the conduct of their wives. Okay there is some insight going on here of working with a man. He's not good with the words thing, okay? Um, the genders are so totally different in their genetic and environmental makeup that when it comes to communication, women have these highly developed uh, verbal skills, much more so than men. They even do this with little babies. They can take girls and boys where they even got into the world and they can already see different things lighting up in their brains. And so the little girls, they have this right side of their brain that's being developed faster than the boys. And that's where the verbal skills are. She ends up usually having a larger vocabulary. English teachers are usually women, right? Okay. Little boys, they tend to develop the left side of the brain. And so that's kind of that visual, spatial, logical skills area. And so math and problem solving becomes kind of second nature to him. So just think about that difference and go, the relationally packed words are not on his side. Okay. So he's going to struggle with the, anytime words are going to be involved. Now men talk. But you notice what they talk about? They talk about doing things. Not feeling, not like processing. Doing, the action, behavior. Oh, so that must be why wives are being told to focus on what it is that you do. Because that conduct and the way she presents herself, that's going to speak loudly to a man. Man processes stuff through his senses, his, his eyes and ears and nose and all that. He's kind of like a horse, okay? I'm sorry, but the visual might just help, okay? He is a thoroughbred, by the way. And, uh, <laughs> think about it, the communication then. 
You want him to look at you when you're talking to him, trying to talk to him about your relationship or your feelings. You want him to look at you. No, you don't. Okay, communication expert John Gray said, a man listens better by looking away so he can think about what is being said. Isn't that what you really want? You want him to process and think. He can't do it when he's looking at you, okay? Because you're, I'm sorry, it's just the way it is. It's like, uh, you know, look at me, you're trying to, he's looking at you, he's probably going blank, okay? So understand where it is coming from his standpoint. The eyesight of a horse, you know, the eyes of a horse it's really not very defined. It's not very good eyesight in the sense of focusing in. But it's got a broad range of vision. And that's why a guy's like a horse, pretty attracted to moving objects. You know, you know, video games and sports and stuff. It's like when things fly by and attractive women and things like that, they catch, that like catches with them. And it's monocular vision, which means he can process several images at once with these other kinds of things going on in his communication system that's how he learns. That's how he, how he puts it together. And so the idea is, are they listening to me? Well, I'll be honest, sometimes we're really struggling to listen, but it may not be because we don't care. It's just this is a struggle. And so what is she told to do? You can change. You can be a powerful influence in that man's life without words. Now just take that home, women. Just think about how can I do this better? How can I communicate with him? You know, oftentimes he is trying to show you that he loves you, but again, it's through actions. He's, he's you know, taking care of the car. And he's, you know, fixing stuff around the, the house or whatever. He does something for the kids. Those are ways he thinks he's communicating to you because he is doing it through the way that he understands. He can't pick up on all the cues. A man hates trying to figure out what it is you're thinking or, you know, what's wrong or what your words mean. So you just got to tell him without all the details. <laughs> and who said what? Okay, just be concise and to the point. And maybe not unload on him when he first gets home, okay? Because uh, that may not be the best time. He may find a better time to bring things up. You can't expect for him to be like, like you, like you're sharing something emotionally packed. And you don't understand why he's not, he doesn't show any emotion. Hey, that's, that doesn't work for him. It doesn't mean he didn't have emotions. He just can't understand them himself most of the time. And he actually wants to stay under control and composure so he can communicate more effectively. We can't read between the lines, women. We can't pick up on those hints that you're always hoping that we'll get because if you just keep doing it that way, you're going to get frustrated. When Julie comes home from the hairstylist and she asks me if I notice anything different, Man, I'm lost. I mean, because I'm going like different. Oh, no, is there something wrong with the car? And, uh, you know, <laughs> there's something missing in the house. Or I just came through the door and she bought something for the door. I don't know what you, mean, what you mean. Instead, if you just be direct, what are you really after? Why don't you just put the question like this and just say, does this new hairstyle make me look good? That's an easy question. We, it has an answer and we can nail it, okay? Because, <laughs> again, we can process by what we see visually and it just works through that way. Now, unless you're married to a jerk, your husband loves you and he will do anything for the person that he loves. He's like a horse. If you drive him and beat him down, and by the way, this is actually a very important topic at the top of 1 Peter 3 because it's talking about his salvation, trying to get him to listen to God. And if on that topic, Peter says, quit communicating with him like you are. Do this differently. That means like a horse, 
You push it that way, and he is going to buck and rebel. Not going to work. But how do you work with a horse? Look at the rider. When they're good, you can't even tell what they're doing. But there is a way in which that majestic beast, the equestrian rider is on. It almost looks like she's doing nothing, making no motions at all as that horse goes about these intricate and amazing feats. Oh yeah, there is. She's coaxing him. There's little nudges, movements that may not even be visible to others. But this man is responding. Like a horse, he will drive himself till his heart explodes for the person he loves. He will cross oceans. He will climb mountains. He will do whatever it takes, conquer armies for her. Delilah brought down the strongest man in the world by that same power. Helen of Troy, the face that launched the thousand ships, started a 10-year war between major countries. And now, I'm not saying to be manipulative. I'm just saying learn how it is to work with this man and how that nudging, careful coaxing of a beautiful, quiet, gentle spirit and a, a character that you have so key to a man's heart and how he picks up and how strong that is for his growth and your life together. Guys, we got to take our pointers now from verse 7. Here it is, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Girls, if you thought your part was hard, I can tell you ours seems impossible, okay? Because we're being told to understand you. And uh, we think it'd be easier to build a four-lane highway to Hawaii. I mean, strange as it may sound, a wife is more important to her husband than even he realizes. Now get that. Because he's not a processor. He's not thinking through his feelings often or understands what they all, he can't articulate how he feels. And Mike Gunger says the reason is because we deal with boxes. Men compartmentalize something. We got our boxes for everything. And females are wired that everything's connected. So we're sitting there trying to go thought by thought and keep everything logical. And she can like talk and think and feel all at the same moment. We are so verbally in advance compared to her. <laughs> And so that's why when we get in very deep with this stuff, it's, it's tough, especially if we think like, uh-oh, something's wrong, and I probably did something wrong. I mean, it becomes unnerving. And Should we just make a comparison? This might help you, ladies, okay? If we treated you like a car, this would work better, okay? Don't, don't get offended. You think about a car. We often call them my baby, okay? I mean, men love their cars, or at least their, like, ideal vision of one. Man, we love its shiny exterior. Oh, we love that smell. We'd sit in that, that, that engine is purring underneath. Man, we can't wait to open that throttle up. And men will devote hours and hours to their cars. So guys, what are we being told to do? Study her. Understand her. Treat her like you would your car. All the intricate pieces and parts and figure those things out, how they work, and then what to do to make her look beautiful. See, then those homes will be able to improve. You find yourself in conversation with her, and as hard as that is for us, because like, we, you know, we can't keep up. If we just, we'll stay in there and keep trying to figure it out, that's half the battle. Because if you check out, brother, that's not going to be good at all. You know what that's going to mean? To her, that communicates you don't care. 
it looks like neglect to her. And you know good and well you'd change that oil in the car and you'd keep the right air pressure in those tires. And I know you don't mean to, but that's just it. You've got to stay in that thing and, and study and go like, what's this? And you know, how's this part work? <laughs> and keep in there. And then you'll be able to send that clue because she's got this thing of where she's wired that when she starts feeling closer to someone when she's in that conversation with them. And so if that thing shuts down or he checks out or he leaves and goes about his business, she's going to start feeling distant. Now, when you talk with her, don't debate, okay? Will Rogers said there are two theories to arguing with a woman. Neither works. <laughs> a woman's sense of self is very much, there's emotions involved, and it has to do with that relationships uh, that she's tied into. She's just got to treat her like that car. We would just dote on that thing, and we'd make sure that everything about it is needed just like how we want to see it. And so she has all these needs. She wants to feel valued. She wants to feel appreciated. She wants to be uh, thanked. She wants to have attention given to her. And we'd love to see the new car shine. And we'll spend hours to make sure that comes out of it. She's concerned about her physical appearance. When that changes, it affects her greatly. You like the smooth, you like to feel the smooth, polished surface of the car. Guess what she needs? She needs touches, special touches, but not the sexual kind necessarily, okay? I know you guys are excited there for a minute, you know? No, what I've kind of heard, not that I've figured this out, but just through the years, it's like, and someone's even said, it's like seven significant non-sexual touches a day would help communicate to a woman that she is loved and valued. So think about you know, all the ways. And guys, about this time, usually a guy goes, starts tapping on the seven, you know, shoulders seven times. Yeah. It's, like, no, no. it's got to be fit to her. Because <laughs> women are different. That kiss. You say goodbye before you go off to work. That rub her back. That arm around her. Or hold those hands. Whatever, whatever works for that woman that you're with in your life. And, and it's not necessarily physical. All those touches that can mean so much. May, you know, is she the kind that wants the car door open for her? She doesn't want that done for her. Just you figure it out, remember, understand her, and then honor her in ways that speak to her. Calling her up. Hey, just thinking about you. Getting those flowers or those many other things that show that you care. It was interesting because when Adam saw Eve, before he even touched that naked body, he what? He gets poetic. Ah, oh, starts like being romantic and whoa, and he just tells her how beautiful she is to him. See, non-physical, but how important it is to her to be touched. Like that car, how, how special that feels. A loving touch. And it's just because there's no hidden agenda it's not because of what you're after later on. <laughs> no motive, just because that you care for her. So you know what we're talking about here? We're building that home. In some of your cases, it's rebuild that home. Because some of you guys, like me, say, man, it doesn't matter how long I've been married. I've blown it for a long time. So it's time to learn. Why don't you take some clues from the text and just start working on it? And do it this thing differently. And don't be surprised your wife says, where'd my husband go? Who are you? 
but that'd be a good thing to show her it's a new day. Now, we want to be helpful to you as a church. So it's a great time. Valentine's Day is coming, obviously, and this church is going to put on an event we'd like to make sure you have opportunity to come to. February 15th, couples night. Have a nice meal. Get that taken care of, guys. But a couple, Craig and Beth Haig, are going to be here. He's a fire chief. This guy knows what it's like to have a very stressful job and how important it is for husband and wife to support each other. So they are going to share. And I think you'll get a lot out of how God has showed up in their life and how he can show up in yours too. So just mark that out. Say, hey, babe, we're going. And come and be encouraged of something that will help you with your home rebuilt. See, before you even woke up, God had this ready for you. And it's positive. He is not going to beat you over the head for what you've done wrong. He's not going to want to drive your nose this thing saying like, well, just forget it. You've had, you've had your chances. This is a new day. And I don't know too many significant others that are in your life and that other special relationship or that married partner that would turn this down saying, really? You're going to try something? Give them a chance. So today, we got a song that says yes. And I wonder if you're singing it like me. You're thinking about your Lord and you're thinking about that person. Yes, I will. Count on me. Why don't you stand together? And our band is going to start this. And I want you to be already saying yes. And I want to add one more thing. I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. You won't fail me now in the waiting. The same God who's never late is working all things out. You're working all things out. So while the music plays, I just want to ask everyone to, want you to close your eyes. Because I want you to think through a, I know that some of you are in a place that's a little bit more serious than just, uh, oh, you know, we need to show each other love a little better. Because you used to just have small irritations, but now it's, become a steady stream of conflict in your lives. Something's broken in your relationship and no matter how hard that you've tried, you cannot seem to fix it. I want you to know that the Lord has help for you. We're not minimizing the significant issues that you're going through. So we have something in the church called marriage mentoring. And right now, just even prayerfully for God, maybe this is something you need to consider and say, we need that. And we can get you connected to another couple who will help you work through those issues because there's hope for you even if your relationship has suffered a breach and there's some pretty nasty stuff that's still in the past that haunts you betrayals and debts we care about you we want to see your home make it the elders of this church will come around you and pray they will keep your issues confidential but You'll be surrounded by people in your corner, just like your God who is cheering you on and you'll have all the resources of the church in heaven to help you. Please don't seek comfort in another place. Please don't throw in the towel. There's help for you. Even if you're on the verge of a complete breakdown, Maybe someone's already packed a suitcase to leave. Please know your marriage is not too far gone for God. It can be rebuilt.
And the first step is just to acknowledge that, where it's at. Things are not what they ought to be. That's the first step. And construction or reconstruction, it is hard. It's going to take some hard work. But you're already getting down that road when you acknowledge, confess what it is, and then start following God's plan of how to get this home built and rebuilt. Please know He is there for you. Come to Him right now. So in saying yes, say yes to Him. Let Him work in your life.